We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control. It's still recording you, thankfully. Not no dark sarcasm in the classroom. Teacher, leave us kids alone. Hey, teacher, leave those kids alone. All in all, we're just another brick in the wall. All in all, we're just another brick in the wall. Is that like your go-to karaoke song? This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. 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 Hey y'all, welcome to the show. We have a great convo lined up for today. We have two gentlemen joining us today who have been around the sport of triathlon almost from day one. They've seen a lot of things, they've raced a lot of races, and we're going to talk about how triathlon has evolved over the years as a sport. And we'll get their take on the current state of the multi-sport industry. Our first guest joining us today is triathlon legend and tridot coach Mark Allen. Mark is the most successful triathlete of all time, having won the Ironman Triathlon World Championships six times, the Nice International Triathlon 10 times, and the first recognized Olympic Distance Triathlon Championship. He went undefeated in 21 straight races for an astounding two-year winning streak from the late 1988 to 1990. He's been inducted into the Halls of Fame for Ironman, USA Triathlon, and the International Triathlon Union. ESPN named Mark as the greatest endurance athlete of all time. Mark, welcome back to the Trout Out Podcast. Well, you know, the, Andrew, the last time I was on, I was Mark Allen, the coach. Now yep, I am yep, Mark yep. Allen, the Tridot coach. Yes, you are. Which is super exciting for me. You know, we've been working behind the scenes for a little while now to kind of get to know each other and to for me to be able to see how amazing Tridot is and to just go, oh my God, this is something that I want to be a part of. This is where I want to park my coaching for the rest of my life. And so it's super exciting that we can actually announce it and say, hey, I'm a TriDot coach and here we go, ready to go. Also joining us today is Scott Zagarino. Scott is the CEO of Mark Allen Sports and wow, what a sports life he has led. He grew up in Miami, Florida, sailing Olympic class sailboats and moved onto ocean racing sailboats when he moved to California. He also qualified for the USA Junior Olympic Trials in wrestling. Along the way, he moved into the sport of triathlon where he qualified for the age group world championship team. He has a 10-hour and 19-minute Ironman on his tri resume. Scott was elected vice president of the board of directors of the United States Triathlon Federation and was elected by the top triathletes in the world to form a group to represent the interests of professional triathletes worldwide. Scott, welcome to the show. Well, uh, my resume pales in comparison to our other guests, but <laughs> not true. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. It's great to be here. I'm Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people, and captain of the middle of the pack. As always, we'll roll through our warm-up question, settle in for our main set conversation, and then wind things down with our cooldown. I'm a company man, so a quick, shameless TriDot plug. We know that we have a lot of listeners who train with TriDot, and we have a lot of listeners who do not train with TriDot. 
all good, totally cool, the more the merrier. We really do try to make sure our podcast content is helpful no matter what you use to train. With that said, if you are not a TriDot user, but maybe you thought about checking out our training platform, I will now be hosting occasional live TriDot demos where I'll be showing folks around the platform and giving you a sneak peek and giving you a peek at what the training looks like. When I was signing up for the preseason project back in late 2018, that, that was my primary curiosity. What is this thing called TriDot and what does it even look like? Uh, my first live demo will be on Wednesday, August 24th, 8 p.m. Central Time. So head to TriDot.com slash Demo TriDot to get more information and to register. Time to warm up. Let's get moving. Athletes with big-time accomplishments or big-time personality often take on a nickname at some point in their career. And across all of sports and all of sports history, there have been some good freaking nicknames over the years. Sometimes they are pretty on the nose, like hockey's Wayne Gretzky just being called the great one. Sometimes they are name-based, like baseball legend Alex Rodriguez being known as A-Rod. Sometimes they are just plain fun, like football's William the Refrigerator Perry. And sometimes they are based on accomplishment, like this guy Mark Allen being known as The Grip. Scott, Mark, from the wide world of sports, what pro athlete do you think has the greatest nickname of all time? <laughs> Andrew, well, you know, I have, I'm predisposed to The Grip because I think that's one of the great nicknames in sports. Sticking, sticking with triathlon, my favorite nickname goes back a ways and reach back is Scott Molina's nickname was Skid. And the legend has it that after multiple crashes on the Wednesday ride, due to the fact that triathletes didn't ride very well back then, sure. his nickname from Scott Tinley was Skid, and he has forever more been Skid. So, Mark, from, from just the wide world of sports, who do you think has the best nickname of all time? Well, I think the greatest nickname of all time comes from the greatest himself, Muhammad Ali. You know, he said, I am the greatest. And he, <laughs> he followed up with that. He was, he was, uh, some people thought it was boastful. He was honest. He was the greatest. And, um, you know, probably the only guy who actually gave himself the nickname of who he is, but, uh, one that I just think is amazing. And I actually got to meet Muhammad at oh, Su very cool. Super Bowl, Super Bowl a number of years ago. And he was, his, his Parkinson's had developed to the point where he couldn't really speak. Um, uh, but he was, I was introduced to him and, and he, he, he just kind of, you could see he, he, he started to try to grip his hands a little bit like he would, you know, uh -huh. put him up like, a, he, he still had that spirit in him. Yeah. He, he started to, to move his hand just a little bit and he did this little thing where his head rocked a little bit and he, he kind of squinted and, and gave, the, <laughs> gave this little shake of the head and it was just like this sweet moment, like. You know, he's still in there. He That's just, so cool. He just can't, um, you know, he can't communicate out. But super cool guy. What, what, one of the few people who, who can give himself the nickname The Greatest and not have it be bragging or braggadocious, just having it be accurate in this case, right? Yeah, greatest of all time, Muhammad Ali. And Mark, I, I do have to say that there's a little bit of humility in here because your nickname, The Grip, is a super cool one in, in sports lore. And so you, you could have gone with that and no one would have blamed you. Instead, you went with Muhammad Ali. But just for any of our listeners who aren't aware of the backstory, how did you get called The Grip? 
There was one year early in my career where I made a huge jump in my in my cycling ability, and there was a group ride in San Diego that we would do every Wednesday. There was usually somewhere between 50 and 100 people on it. Just it got pretty big and sometimes unruly. Anyway, the first miles of it, everybody was just kind of going slow and Get, be, getting warmed up, getting and, BSing, yeah. and finishing their <laughs> donuts or bagel or whatever they had, you know, their banana and. Um, I, literally like a few minutes into it, I was always like, all right, I'm ready to go. And this was back before aero bars. This was when you actually had cycling handlebars. And so when you really started to go hard, you'd get down in the drops. And so right away on this one ride, a couple minutes into it, I'm like, I'm done. I'm ready to get going, get the work going. I got down in the drops and this guy, Murphy Reinschreiber goes, uh-oh, he's got the grip. Hold on. The grip of death. Here we go. And he kept calling me the grip the whole ride, and it just stuck. And now there's people that only call me grip. They go, yeah. hey, grip, how's it going? And, and, <laughs> and now it's actually the people who still call me that. It's almost like a, a term of endearment in the sense of, you know, obviously in the sport I did some stuff that was pretty cool, but the grip to them is, is more like an affirmation of them knowing my, my life and knowing that there was stuff personally that I've had to overcome wow. th throughout the years, just like everybody else. Yeah. And th that I've always, always hung in there and never, never given up and somehow been able to kind of come out the other side through persistence and, and hard work and oftentimes surrender and going through periods where things were not ideal for me. And so, you know, the grip has a, I guess, a deeper meaning than just some guy that could go hard in a bike workout with people. Definitely love Mark, just the, the deeper meaning uh, there, but behind you being called the grip. Um, I'm going to give a quick shout out to Daniela Reef. Um, her nickname is Angry Bird. Uh, that's probably my favorite one in the pro tri field. Um, if I'm going the wide world of sports, I, I just, my, my favorite one, it's so fun. David Ortiz from the Boston Red Sox being called Big Poppy. Uh, it fits his personality. It fit how much he meant to that organization over the years uh, playing for them. So big poppy, David Ortiz, is my answer here. Uh, guys, we're going to throw this question out to you, our audience, as we always do. Make sure you're a part of the I Am Trot Out Facebook group every single Monday when a new show comes out. We put this question out to y'all, our audience. So uh, the question today, uh, from the whole wide world of sports, what athlete do you think has the best nickname? I can't wait to see what you have to say. On to the main set. Going in three, two, one. We've spoken to sports scientist Andy Blow during several episodes of the podcast to help you nail your hydration and fueling strategy for training and racing. The big takeaway from those episodes is that there simply isn't a one-size-fits-all approach to race nutrition. And that's why Andy and a team at Precision Fuel and Hydration have developed the Fuel Planner. Head over to precisionfuelandhydration.com to take the Fuel Planner and get your free personalized fuel and hydration strategy. The plan provides guidelines for how much carbohydrate, sodium, and fluid you should be aiming to consume so that you know your numbers for your next race. You can then hit those numbers by using the Precision Fuel and Hydration product range, which is designed to make it easier for you to keep track of your intake during training and racing, as the carb and sodium content per serving is smack bang right there on the front of the packaging. As a Tridot listener, you can use the code TRY10 to get 10% off your first order of PF&H electrolytes and fueling products. That's a brand new code for us, so I'll say it again. It is TRY10 
for 10% off your first order. The multi-sport industry we know today is a very updated version of the grassroots sport early triathletes started racing decades ago. Some things are still very much the same. For example, we still swim, bike, and run in that order, but the sport has very clearly evolved in many ways. And here to reflect on what they've seen, where we've come, and where we're going is Mark Allen and Scott Zagarino. And Scott, our audience got to know Mark a little bit back on podcast episode 144. So I want to start today getting to know you a little bit. Uh, I mentioned in your intro, your personal athletic evolution from sailor to wrestler to triathlete. Where did you first catch wind of this new sport triathlon? And what was your first race? Before I answer that, Andrew, I want to go back to your introduction because, you know, there are milestones when you reach a certain station in life. One of them is you go to get your mail and your AARP card shows up (laughs) (laughs) and you think, I can't be that old. Another one is when people start referring to the beginning of triathlon and you think it was 10 years ago and you realize that it was it's ancient, ancient history. It made me think about my first my first triathlon. I I can tell you how I got there, but I, I feel a little creaky when I hear the introduction. Um, so I had a friend who I, I was racing sailboats at the time, but I had, you know, I was exercising for fitness and he got a bike and, and I went to his house one day and he had the, probably the first or the second issue of triathlete magazine. And I looked at the magazine. And I thought, well, I could do that if I, you know, if someone told me where it is. And I was one of the few people I have to say that who wasn't influenced by Julie Moss. Had I, had I seen that before I saw the magazine, I might have thought twice. <laughs> sure. But uh, who knows how history would have evolved after that. But uh, so I asked a friend to borrow his bike, went out and rode it wearing cutoff sweatpants, his cleats, which were two sizes too big, but had leather straps. I don't even think we had helmets back then. And I thought, well, I can, I can do this. And so I used to sneak between these two condominiums in Santa Monica that had a 20 yard pool and just swim back and forth for as long as I thought it would take to complete a triathlon. And I kind of rode the bike a little bit and ran a little bit. And I, then I looked for a race. And at that time, I think there were only three or four races in California. There might've been more, but that's all I could find. And there was one at the beginning in Benelli park, which is this lake in the middle of nowhere. And I entered and I went, and I don't have any of the pictures, but I can tell you that it was, I was wearing Ray-Ban sunglasses and tube socks and leather shoes, and it was horrendous. <laughs> but I met some really fun people, and it was, at the, I think there were two or 300 people in the race, and it, it was so much fun. Yeah. The worst thing that can happen to a beginner triathlete happened to me. I think I finished 15th, and I thought, wow, I can do this which is the beginning of the end. It's better to finish towards the back when you go, that was fun. I'm going back to racing sailboats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you got you to have room to improve, Scott. Uh, well, I, I, it was not a good thing. I can't imagine being Mark and having, you know, winning or, or being set. Then, well, first of all, I don't, he has to, Mark has to send a card to his mom every, you know, every, every once in a while, just thanking her for the jeans. Yeah. <laughs> I fortunately didn't have those. Yeah. I don't, I don't have as Andrew, the average triathlete, I certainly don't have those either. So, uh, I, I think a lot of pros these days, uh, owe, owe their parents that same, mm-hmm. uh, thank you card. So Scott, you, you've been behind the scenes for a lot of, a lot of that. You've been behind the scenes, uh, helping Mark and, and coaching other athletes. 
you know, how did you kind of make that transition from being an active triathlete who was racing in your younger days to being behind the scenes as an industry influencer? That's that, that is a, it's an interesting choice and it has a lot to do with now looking back how I've chosen to con or, or how I've been sort of thrust into this role that I'm very comfortable in. And that's the philanthropic role. It's, and I can tell you there was a, a really pivotal event for me when I was racing. I, I was really sort of overcome constantly with the, with gratitude. It wasn't, it wasn't because I was with fast, you know, with the faster people or that I was athletically gifted, but I would find myself one day, especially up, up way up in a Canyon, watching the sun come up over the Pacific. And I was just struck by how lucky I am. I had two legs that would power me up a hill to get to that spot on a bicycle. Wow. To some extent, it was the, it was my calling and there crept in this little seed of, you know, I'm not this fortunate because of my sparkling personality. And I'm not this because I'm such a wonderful exemplary that, that I deserve these gifts. It's because there's something I'm supposed to be doing with them. Uh, clearly, it's not doing what Mark was doing, but it was I really wanted to give something back. And I found myself standing in Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. I don't know. I, to this day, I really don't know how I got there. It was sort of I got in my car. I drove there. I said, I want to volunteer. And, and there was a lot of red tape at that point. So I was sort of wandering around the halls and I came to a place in the children's ward uh, near the oncology ward. And it was all hazard taped off. And I went and looked in the window and no one was watching me and I hadn't really done anything yet. And I looked in and there was these kids. And they were playing board games and watching TV, and some were sicker than others, but clearly they were all pretty sick. And I went in, and I just started talking to them, figuring that somebody would show up. Somebody comes racing in not too long after and herds me out and tells me that that is, uh, they haven't labeled the ward yet, but it's kids who have a life-threatening illness. They're not quite sure what it was, and they're not quite sure how they caught it. They think it has something to do with bloods blood supply and at the time that was the aid that was the pediatric aids ward wow so I, I kind of went look here, here's what i can give back if i go to a race and it doesn't matter to you know some minor sponsor or some somebody who's who needs me to be there what if i entered in one of these kids names and if i did well and got a trophy or, or you know my name was mentioned in the paper in some you know and these are little races not where anybody good was showing up maybe that would be something so i, I went to a race and there was a kid jimmy knowlton uh, and let me know if I'm rambling on because this is the story. This is no, please, yeah, please keep sharing. His name was Jimmy Knowlton, and he had what at the time they were just beginning to understand was AIDS, and he'd gotten it from the blood supply. So I went to this race and I finished third, and I got a trophy. But I filled out the entry with his name. Okay, I choked me up <laughs> still, so I'm sorry, but he. Uh, I haven't told this story in a while. He. Uh, so I got a trophy the next day in the paper when they published the results, and this is somewhere in Nevada. So I went back to the hospital and I felt like I, you know, I felt like I'd done this amazing thing. I had a trophy, I had an article from a paper, I had a t-shirt, I had all that stuff, and I was gonna give it to him and say, you know, look what we did together. And and no one knew what I was doing and, and you know at the time and no one knew much about it. And I went back and his mom was there and they were excited way past anything I could have projected. Wow. I was just doing it because I thought I should do something. And that's, you know, my creative brain, that's what occurred to me. And I felt great. They felt great. I wanted to do it again. And the, 
this is a short edition. So the head of Children's Hospital, the head of onco- pediatric oncology at the time was uh, Dr. Stuart Siegel. And I, he went on to head the hospital, but he took me by the arm and, and walked to, walked me out that day and said, look, I appreciate what you're doing. You know, we're going to look the other way because nobody's supposed to be working with these kids. <laughs> I want to tell you that we had a guy come here from with with all of the oncology background that you that you could possibly have. He'd been a surgeon at Boston General. He was, you know, had graduated from from a top med school. And he said, you know, he was here six weeks and these kids die. He said he revved up his new car in the parking garage and ran into a wall about eight weeks ago. So before you start this, I want you to know that this is a good place to get off. Everybody's happy. They've got the glow. And and we're going to let you do this because nobody else is doing it. But I want you to know what the consequences could be. And, and I'm an idiot. So it just didn't sink in. And uh, sure enough, you know, the next time I tried it, I went back and the bed was empty. Uh, that kind of rocked me. And I started with 20 kids. So this is where the answer to the question, how it segued into business. So there had never been a, a, a non-vertical factory team. There really hadn't been very many non-vertical. And I mean, by that, I mean, in triathlon, there weren't many companies who did anything but make tires and frames and run shoes and things like that. Sure. And, and maybe I was, I was, certainly was naive, but I, I cooked up a proposal and I said, look, this is a cause-related sponsorship. What I want to do is take some of the top pros and put them in my shoes, get them to visit the hospitals with me, get them to take this whole thing up a notch for these kids. And in the meantime, you know, we'll make people aware of what's happening with pediatric AIDS. So I circulated a proposal. I followed up. And this is long before you could do this all on the internet. This was done at Kinko's. Yeah. <laughs> a typewriter in Kinko's. And I, about the third week after I was sending out the last of my hundred proposals, I got a call from Pioneer Electronics. And they were in Long Beach. And they had me in. I made my presentation. And at that time, there weren't any cause-related sponsorships. There just wasn't anything like it. They sort of married the idea of triathletes and doing some social good, and somehow we cooked up a deal. And the next year, we had the Pioneer Electronics Triathlon team with eight of the top triathletes in the world. We were hugely successful, both racing and as a, you know, it was really the first factory team of its kind in triathlon. And that's how I got into the, I found I was really good at seeing the sport from a perspective that companies that weren't involved in the sport could buy into finding, finding the angle rather than, and I, and I don't mean to disparage anyone here, but rather than the idea that triathletes are rich, it's a brilliant demographic and you should buy in because they might buy some small portion of the products that you sell. Yeah. Uh, but everything I have done since then in sports has been cause related. Um, in fact, for about five years, I, created all the sports fundraising for the prostate cancer foundation. Very cool. Yeah, that's, that's the answer. And I I have never been able to motivate myself if it wasn't doing some good for somebody else. Scott, a few episodes ago with Mark, we got to hear just how excited he is, um, to, to work with his athletes through TriDot and to train his athletes through TriDot. Uh, Scott, I know you've seen over the years, just a bunch of different ways to, to do triathlon training. What was your impression of TriDot when you and Mark first discovered it? So I, I'm, I'm an inveterate reader. I, I just read everything. And I saw a, a blurb somewhere about the TriDot model. 
and I started chasing down the thread. And the more, the more deeply I got in the thread, I started talking to Mark about it. And I was, you know, at the beginning, it was different. It was difficult because I had no background in the, in the tridot world to describe it to him. And I found just in, just in figuring it out and being able to describe it to him without really, you know, delving deep into the company at that time, I was getting more and more interested. I was thinking there's been this evolution in coaching in, in moving from written calendars to spreadsheets to plans and programs. And I've, I've thought, you know, there is a ceiling on this. There are a couple of ceilings. One is it's difficult for anyone to one-on-one -on -one coach enough people to make it sustainable. And, and two, even then just, you know, it's difficult enough to coach a swimmer. It's difficult enough to coach a, a, an Olympic class runner. But when you start trying to meld the three sports together, and you don't really have a feeder system. So every one of these people that you're coaching is also maintaining some kind of a personal life. You know, I, I know that I was working at a part-time job when I was in triathlon. You had to balance all. Yeah, sure. And so there's, there's those, there's that whole set of inputs that have nothing to do with your racing, but have everything to do with it in terms of how well can you recover? How much time can you put into travel, et cetera, et cetera. You know, all of those things that every triathlete has to consider. And I could see maybe, maybe maxing out on a very small number of people where you, in your brain, in a coach's brain, or in a, even in a, in a semi-automated system, there was just only so much you could do before you were maxed on your ability to take all that data in and then spit out programs that were infinitely adjustable, not just, you know, do this every day and hope you don't break. And so when I, when I got to try that, I thought, you know, Right at the right at the onset, I said, "This is it. This is this is what happens next." That that was actually the bulb going on in my head. I, you know, I wasn't sure there was something next. I was just thinking this whole system has now reached its limits, and there it was. It was it was the next thing, and the algorithmic intelligence and the ability to process all of these inputs, and then update them on you know in almost real time, and then push out data based on what the inputs are feeding it and then the coach's input on top of that so it's not just an ai system that's you know spitting out data based on the past it's actually somebody reaching like mark reaching into it and saying and we need to make these adjustments yeah. mark has fed in those adjustments yeah. system learns from mark the long and short of it was the more the more deep that i got into it after i started talking to jeff and and when i was able to brief mark on what i had found we both arrived at the same thing. This is what's next. And everybody's going to be here. So we should be out in front of this. I, I, I want to go back to a little earlier in the show, we were talking about nicknames. And, and I feel like this is very important to bring up. <laughs> because at at Mark Allen Sports, the two of you have a nickname. And it is the beauty and the beast is what you refer to yourselves <laughs> as. And, and so I, I, I'm just curious to, to two things. One, how did you guys come together to form Mark Allen Sports and start doing business together? And then beyond that, who's the beauty and who's the beast? <laughs> well, I'll leave that part to Scott, but I, I will, I will say, I will, I, I'll, I'll share the story on how we, we came together. And, um, this was, let me back, back way up. I have known Scott since the eighties when we were in the very beginnings of the sport. And, seeing him working in various aspects of the sport, you know, working for the International Triathlon Union, working at the first world championships to 
ensure that there was equal prize money, men and women. They were going to pull pull the women's prize purse, uh, you know, right at the last, at the 11th hour. And Scott got all the athletes together and said, you guys need to go to the Congress and, you know, walk in there, bust in there and tell them you're not racing unless the prize money is equal. Wow. That set the standard for our sport. Anyway, so many aspects of the sport like that. And when he started, uh, you know, pioneer racing, that was groundbreaking. So anyway... Six or seven years ago, Scott called me up, kind of out of the blue. We hadn't, we you know, we would c- communicate once in a while through, over the years, but nothing really formal. And he goes, "How's your coaching doing? How are you doing?" I go, oh, "I'm doing great." And he goes, "I don't think you are." And I'm like, <laughs> "Gee, gee, thanks." I'm like, "Dude, come on, I'm doing great." And he's like, "I don't think you are." And I go, well, "It sounds kind of like he's the beast." Yeah, yeah, a little bit, you know. Oh yeah, we're coming to that. Yeah, we're coming to that. We're getting there. But and 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 he goes, "Let me just tell you why I'm feeling." He said, "I I was just sort of searching on on the internet, you know, typing your name in and seeing where you came up and what's going on." And he goes, "It's like you've disappeared off the face of the earth." And, you know, I didn't come up in any search engines. You had to go down four or five pages before you even found, you know, Mark Allen coaching or, or what I was doing or... Not even a know, Wikipedia, Mark? Not, not, not even the faintest story of, of me, you know. And he, he goes, you know, so much time has passed since you raced that probably there's a lot of people now that may have heard your name. They may have heard of 1989, but they don't know a whole lot about you. And so he goes, I, I'd love to just help you out. So I was, I was his next charity case. You know, he's okay. like, he's like, this dude needs some rehabilitation. He's on his last breath. And unless I do something right now, he's going to, there's no way he's going to be able to really revive his presence and, and, and legacy in the sport. And so, um, Scott really spent about, I would say four or five years just slowly redeveloping awareness of me, what I did, how I did it, the stories of not just 1989, but of Your my, career. Uh, my entire yeah. career. You know, he came up with um, 1621 Infinity, sort of like he sends me these numbers, 1621 Infinity, and he goes, what are these? And I go, "What? I don't know, maybe it's like code for the end of the, worth, the sure. earth or something. And, <laughs> and he, he goes, this is your resume. It took a lot of work, a lot of uh, painful phone calls, like, you know, Scott going, you're not holding up your end here. You're not telling enough of the stories. Give me five more. I'm like, oh, dang. Okay. All right. You know, so anyway. The beast. Uh, the beast. Yeah. The, the cracking the whip and get, getting me moving, which I am eternally grateful for because sure. I had gotten lazy. I had sort of just gone like, oh, well, I guess this is kind of it. You know, I'll just co- coach some athletes and, you know, let the next one come along. No, Scott was not willing to let that happen because he goes, Legacy in sport should be remembered, and there's experience that can be gained from anybody who's been around something for a long time that should be shared. It's, t- it's time for you to really start sharing this stuff with other people and putting yourself out there, not being afraid to, and not being afraid to speak your mind. Like maybe what you're thinking and feeling, and based on many years of experience, is not going to be the most popular thing, but people need to hear that, and they need to trust the person who's saying these things about where the sport is or where it might be going or how it could be improved. And so it's been a, it's been this just great journey. And, uh, you know, there, I don't think there's anybody else on the planet who knew me well enough to be able to bring it through this whole evolution to end up as we are here today talking sure. as a tri-dot coach. Sure. Yes. Uh, Scott, I'm wondering if we can even rebrand this, this final chapter that Mark is beginning to write coaching with TriDot as 
infinity and beyond. And so you have the, the <laughs> one, six, 10, infinity and beyond. And, and the beyond portion would be all the athletes that, that begin training with Mark on TriDot and, and become the part of your legacy that continues on for years and years and years and years as they train on the Mark Allen edition of TriDot. Uh, what, what, what do you think about that, Scott? Adding that uh, little Buzz Lightyear infinity and beyond to the end of that equation. My first thought is we're going to have a trademark issue. <laughs> so guys, we, we hear about the early days of triathlon and we hear how it started as a small sport in California. We hear the stories of the first Ironman races in Hawaii. We hear how the ABC Wild World of Sports coverage helps the sport gain attention and get more athletes participating. Being on the scene kind of in those earlier stages did you guys have any inkling that this sport could explode worldwide or, or did it feel like try would always be just kind of this wacky little, little niche? Like what was the sense back then? For me, you know, I was, I was involved with a number of pretty big companies who sponsored me, Nike, Oakley. Um, and even though the, the number of people participating in the sport was not huge, uh, you know, it wasn't in every country on every continent like it is now, there was a magic about it, and it really felt like it had a mystique that transcended uh, the size of the number of people who participated in it. And it was, it's interesting because a lot of the, the advertising that Nike did back in, in the 80s was utilizing me as a triathlete with their products. And it wasn't just saying, you know, use these shoes, you're going to run fast. They went very creative. So like they had, they had George Lucas create a, an ad campaign, Oh wow! you know, with, so cool. with, with video. They had Ridley Scott, who, who was the director of Blade Runner and a million movies. He, yeah. he, he did this whole futuristic um, video ad campaign for some of the products that, and they used me in this, you know, their most popular, um, Super Bowl ad of all time was called the Heritage, was a minute and a half Super Bowl ad, and it was you know uh, projecting all of these images of of Nike's stars on like Andre Agassi and Michael Jordan and you name it at that time on the buildings in downtown Los Angeles at night with this gigantic, literally a, a, looked like a cannon, but it was a camera projecting on the buildings and then me running through the streets i was the thread that ran through the streets of oh, la wow. <laughs> during the nighttime it was it, it was seven nights of filming this anyway there, so there was this <clears throat> there was this real uh, creative sort of mystical magical like this is the pinnacle of of what human beings can dream to do maybe someday some of you but yeah. you can attain it if you try and so it had this it had this attraction that had nothing to do with numbers, but about the the image of it. And now sometimes it's almost like, oh yeah, I did three Ironmans this year, and I'm going to do four four seventy point threes. And oh, maybe after that I'll you know I'll go write a novel or something. But you know, yeah, it's it's sort of like it's become a little bit more normalized in a sense. I mean, it still has a mystique. It still yes. has. I did an Ironman. That that has a ring to it's it. It's still a huge accomplishment. It's a huge accomplishment for the individual accomplishing it. Yes. Yeah, abso- <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, uh, but it was it. So it was a very different kind of feel, I guess you'd say. Okay, Scott. Scott, do you agree with that? Do you have any any further perspective there? I I did, but for entirely different reasons than than it seems to be. The powers that be keep coming. You know, they keep coming to the conclusion that it's the athletic part of triathlon that is going to put it over the top and sell it. 
Now, to some extent, that worked with the Olympic Games, but you know that's a that's a brand that also encompasses modern pentathlon. So, you know, they really define athleticism in a different paradigm than the rest of the the rest of the sports world does. And for me, and this goes back to the beginning for me, this sport impacts people. It hits them in the heart. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily make them want to go out and buy run shoes. It doesn't. It, it's not like other sports. It's not like tennis. It's that happens on a court. It's not like golf that happens in a, you know, in that environment where the rules are there and the grass is pretty and it's always the same or relatively the same. It hits them in the heart. And if, if you go back, uh, this is the beast part. If you go back to the beginning, more people were influenced by Julie Moss's heart than have ever been influenced by Mark Allen's speed. Sure. And I give I give Mark I give Mark the same props is that if you if you look at these turning points in the history of this sport, it was Mark's and and all respect to Dave Scott, it was Mark's heart in nineteen eighty nine that made this sport turn. The same way that Julie Moss's heart made it turn in nineteen eighty two. But we keep going back to the well of it's the performance, it's the performance of the performance, and we ignore the age group athletes. And for them, the stories I see to this day on Monday morning after their first 70.3 or their 10th Ironman is heart, heart, heart. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And we can discuss this later. I hope we can discuss this later. But the thing about this sport is that it takes everybody involved, whether it's their first sprint or their 20th Ironman, out over this line where there's nothing left but you, your spirit, your heart. Everybody from Jan Ferdano to the last place finisher has to examine themselves in triathlon. It's it's the ticket. You can't get to go without a ticket. And that's the ticket. You have to meet yourself somewhere where everything in your being is saying, give up, quit, whether it's going to the pool at five o'clock in the morning or it's finishing a race when you're walking. Everybody in this sport has to pay admission. And I don't think that that has ever translated into the the image of this sport. I, I've said many times on the podcast, Scott, that I, I feel like the, the heartbeat of triathlon is the, the, the middle of the pack, that the average age groupers that are out there in, in the middle of the pack, I mean, the, the pros obviously get the headlines, the pros get the social media posts from, from Iron Man and, and, and all that, but, but the, the, the heartbeat is the mid-packers and the back of the packers out there just because that, that's that's why you're out there is is for that heart and, and Mark I know you actually prefer to coach mid pack and, and, and amateur athletes and not and not pros um, kind kind of for that reason I mean I, I never get tired of going to the races and seeing our athletes on course fly by giving high fives you know seeing you know get, get, getting pictures of them as they go toward the finish line I never get tired of of logging on the Facebook on Monday morning and just what you said Scott seeing everybody's posts about about whether it was their local sprint, maybe it was a PR, maybe it, whatever they accomplished that weekend, uh, or, or, or maybe it was their first Ironman that they finally finished in their post. I never get tired of reading those race reports and just, and there's honestly, there's only so many different variations of a race report, right? There's only so <laughs> many different things that can happen to you mm-hmm. out there, but I, I still never get tired of reading them because cause even though you might be the 100th person to, to have that type of race day, to you is the first time you went through that and it was no less real to you just because someone else has gone through it before. Right. 
And, and so I, I always enjoy reading them. And, and Mark, what, what is it about age group athletes for you that, that make them kind of your, your favorite people to coach the finish line? Mark, yeah, before you go there, can I, can I just jump in? I feel like sure. I've got to put an end to that thought or I'll, I'll lose it. Sure. What you're saying, just need, just, I need to, to add one thing to it is I don't care if you're, and I think Mark would agree with this. I don't care if you're running sub five minute pace at the end of an Olympic distance or you're running sub 15 pace. Both of those people are experiencing the exact same emotions and feelings. Absolutely. Sprinting at the, at a, at a world cup race. They're, they're down there. There, there's nothing in the tank. There's nothing in the brain. There's voices screaming at you. And that ill person who's been out there forever is experiencing the exact same thing. And I think that's, that's the heart of this sport is everybody relates to everybody because it's like everything else. Once you've done something really hard and finished it, you're a different person. Position yourself at the finish line of an Ironman, let's say, or at the Ironman. It doesn't matter. And you watch people come across the line. You know, maybe, maybe one every seventh or eighth or tenth pro will be really psyched. But nine out of ten age groupers, when they cross that line, are psyched. Yeah. You know, and, and so it's seeing people who maybe ha- have considered, probably in the beginning, they may have considered themselves just kind of ordinary in terms of athletics or their capabilities to do something as extraordinary as that. But they cross that line and they feel like they did something truly extraordinary, which they did. Yeah. And they, they, they wear that emotion on the outside. And it's just so uh, fulfilling to see so many people with that smile on their face, like, I did it, I made it. And age groupers have that a lot more, I think, than, let's say, pros. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, you know, some of the some of the most amazing moments that, that I've experienced and witnessed in triathlon are those last finishers, the final ones who, you know, they had to, they had to have those conversations with themselves for close to 17 hours, 15, yeah. 16, 17 hours. That's a long time. That's a much longer time. And I always say, hey, what I did in some ways was easy. I only had to be out there eight hours and change. <laughs> you know, I didn't have to I didn't have to be out there alone at night in the dark trying to find my way from aid station to aid station. And I didn't have as many moments where I had to talk myself down off the ledge and to keep going. But those moments, you know, when people do that it does something that fundamentally changes their experience of themselves. Yeah. And it, it gives them a, a sense of something deeper that they, they know they never would have been able to experience about themselves had they just sat on the couch or yeah. had they done something that was safe or had they done something that was more guaranteed. You know, you, you start a triathlon, it's, you know, maybe a sprint race, okay, I'm pretty guaranteed I think I can finish it. But it's still tough, you know, Absolutely. and Olympic is a little <laughs> bit more of that. And a 70.3 is a little bit more of that. And an Ironman, of course, is even more of that. And the age group athletes, you know, they're, they're in many ways, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And then that, that is extraordinary. You know, a top pro with who has all day long to train and who has this genetic toolbox that's, you know, top notch. They don't have much weakness going on in there. That's cool to see. 
But yeah. like Scott said, you know, you can see somebody running a, a five minute pace. That's definitely no more inspiring than, than seeing somebody who's walking and jogging and walking and jogging and really focused on getting to that finish line. It's, it's a hundred meters away and then it's 50 meters and it's 25 meters and it's dark and they've been out there for hours. And all of a sudden, you know, this sort of blank look on their face they light up because they see a family member or a friend who's waiting for them at the finish line. And that bond of both of them knowing what that person went through to make that day absolutely take place and to complete it and to cross that finish line. That's the magic that triathlon still has. Kind of wiggling from the evolution of triathlon to, to the, the deeper meaning of triathlon. So, so to wiggle back to its evolution, Scott, um, kind of what you alluded to. I mean, you've played a huge role in marketing the sport of tri over the years and getting brands to recognize the value of the sport. I mean, you mentioned earlier, you founded the first non-endemic sponsorship sponsorship in triathlon with Pioneer Electronics team. Um, you know, you, you've brought more than $9 million into the sport and sponsorship over the years, Gatorade being a huge player there uh, early on. What, what role has business enterprise played in the evolution of triathlon as a sport? There's always going to be room for innovation in this sport. And the, I think the one tool that I, I, I am really blessed with is I can assume the perspective of the benefit that it would have to a brand or to a company or where that intersection of heart is and convince people that that's the, that's the nature of this sport. It's not the number of people who participate. It's not the number of people who can buy BMWs. It's not, it's not any of those things that are in traditional sponsorship decks. It's being able to translate something that will mesh with their brand values in a way that transcends sport. And I think um, it's, it's really an important thing that I don't think that, that, and this is the beast part, I don't think a lot of people from the marketing standpoint want to or have really embraced. And that is that this sport has everything absolutely backwards and has always had everything absolutely backwards. When you talk about golf, tennis, any other sport, they have a, a weeding out process as you progress. Like when I was wrestling, you, you reach a certain point, that's as far as you're going to go and you become a spectator or, you know, an enthusiastic amateur that bats a ball around somewhere. This sport allows you to enter when you're 45, 50, 55 years old and have the exact same experience that elite athletes have. It's the same course. The goal is to complete it as fast as you can. For a few people, that's as fast as anybody can. But for everybody else, it's as fast as you can. Yeah. Look out at the world of sport. Is there any other sport where you can do that? They don't let you step on the court at Wimbledon just because you love tennis. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> no, they don't let you in a Formula One race car. <laughs> you know, this is the sport where a, a 30-something or a sick person or a person who's overcoming something physically or a person who's got some kind of challenge can step in tow it up on the same course and the value structure is the exact same because you go, okay, we've all, you know, we all got some speed. We all got some ability to propel ourselves forward. That's great. You're all moving forward. Now it really hurts. Well, everybody ran up against the same wall. Now it really hurts and you really want to quit, but to, to finish a triathlon, you don't quit. That's the value. So, that's, that's what I have been able, you know, when I first brought a cause-related program to, to Pioneer, they were sort of confused about, well, how does this 
you know, pediatric AIDS thing fit in with, yeah. I said, heart, man, it's heart. Mm. These kids got heart. They're in that, they're battling every day just to be alive another day. And nobody even knows what they have. And the world's sort of against them. Show me a triathlete who doesn't embrace those values. Yeah, no, very, very true. So something else I wanted to ask both you guys about, because you were both a, a huge part of bringing triathlon to the Olympic Games, which it's not always an easy task to, to get a growing sport into the favor of the IOC. So Scott, Mark, you know, what, what did the IOC first think of try when you were pitching it for Olympic inclusion? For me, the first thing, the first thing that always has to be spoken, the, the top of every sentence is Les McDonald. No Les McDonald, no Olympics. The way into the Olympics, and this is all Les McDonald, the way he thought was there are some sports that are very expensive and not too popular and that the IOC is looking for a way to pare down sports and to bring in more popular sports. And they didn't want to include a new sport that was that didn't have its own national organizing, that, that didn't have the 15 years of work it took to meet the Olympic parameters worldwide. So Les went to the heads of the Modern Pentathlon Association and said, you know, you guys are one of those not too popular, very expensive sports. We'd like to come in under your ages. That's how he got us introduced to the IOC. But the very first meeting we were in that was an IOC meeting with everybody with the headphones and multiple translations that looked like the United Nations, the head of the Modern Pentathlon Association, who was Russian at the time, took the dais and said, we're proud to be associated with this new emerging sport triathlon. We've just made a few adjustments in the format, and then we're really looking forward to moving forward with it. Here's the adjustment. Swim day run, bike day two, run day three. <laughs> well, that's, that's, a little, that's a little odd. <laughs> I thought that's how they must have done it in the beginning when I was watching <laughs> Iron Man that first year. Right. <laughs> exactly. And I have to share this anecdote where the world came together. It was in France. It was in this historical city. It was beautiful. The IOC gathered there to watch us put on our race. And that was our, that was our coming out party. Wow. We had been working for years and years and flying, sleeping four people to a room in a tiny hotel to get it there. Uh, the, you know, that original cast. And then Mark won the race. And the IOC is there. They were, we, were, we were almost there. All we had to do was the award ceremony. And it's in this beautiful stone amphitheater and the sun is going down. And Mark gets up and does his acceptance speech in France, in French rather. And at first the place was silent. And then it just, it's one of the most magical moments I've ever seen. The IOC guys from Korea, from Japan, from Germany, from South America were on their feet. The French went crazy. The media went crazy. Way to go, Mark. It, it was it was one of the most magical moments I've ever seen. The sun's going down. He's accepting the first world championship trophy in French, and I just am bawling like a little girl. <laughs> Nothing against little girls. Of course. I felt so honored to be able to participate in the event that became the first true cornerstone to getting into the Olympics, which took place in Sydney in 2000. And, um, you know, there was only going to be one first ever ITU Olympic Distance World Championship. And to win it in France, where I also had such great history of, of and racing. loved racing, yeah. Uh, you know, it was so amazing. And then to have the, the three men were, was myself, Glenn Cook, and Rick Wells. So it was myself, a, 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 you know, a, a, an athlete from the UK and an athlete from New Zealand. You know, th three different countries. Nobody dominated. Three different men that I had raced against many times over the years. 
respected both of them along with the other 150 guys that were in that race. And, and then as, as Scott said, the, the setting was in the Palais de Pop, which was like the, the Pope's palace amphitheater. And, you know, you could just feel this sort of ancient human history that had taken place in that, in that area. The, you know, the Pope lived there for a while and was he the real Pope? I mean, there's all this whole, whole story in history. And then, uh, you know, I, I go, I can't do this in English because I'm in France and, and I need to honor this place where this race took place. And so I gave it in, in, in French. And, uh, so that was, that was pretty cool. No, no, it sounds very, very cool. So, so now that the sport has gotten beyond being recognized as an Olympic sport, you know, triathlon is beginning to grow now in other ways. I mean, there of course are Ironman events all, all over the world. There are local races all over the world every single weekend. Uh, there, there's brands that are starting to emerge and put on world-class event races like challenge family clash, super league try is bringing short course racing to our televisions and in our live streams. Um, and, you know, PTO is trying to advance the experience for, uh, the, the pro field beyond just the top household names. We mentioned them already. There's a lot of great stuff happening for the sport right now from all of it. What gets you guys kind of the most excited when you survey the tri scene as it is right now? For me, the, uh, the thing that excites me is seeing that there are new opportunities going on out there where people are trying different evolutions and, and renditions of what a, what a triathlon race can be. A lot of that obviously is taking place on the, on the, on the pro end, like with the PTO races and with, uh, you know, super league. Um, but I think, you know, ultimately it still goes back to, uh, the age group athletes there. It's a synergy, you know, when there's heroes in a sport, it draws people to it. They want to be able to taste and, and feel and experience some of that same magic that they see in, in the top people that maybe they're rooting for. And so the other side of that is that, um, you know, I think one of the things that, and Scott alluded to this earlier, one of the things that has gotten a little bit backwards is that people are trying to promote the sport as this is a thing where these great athletes are going really fast and are doing these amazing things and they're overcoming pain and they're just so fast and amazing. And it's like, oh, okay, I don't even know who this person is. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you have to tell the story of the people to create a fan base. Yeah. You know, you cheer for somebody be- in any athletic sport, you cheer for them because there's something about their personality that you have seen or heard that you identify with and you want to root for them. Yeah. And those those stories behind the story is what really will, in my opinion, continue to elevate the sport beyond what it is right now. It's not going to be having more races where guys can go fast, where you know the men and the women, they're racing and they have these amazing performances. Those are great. And they're great opportunities, but we still need to tell the stories of the athletes. And I think that's one piece that could definitely be improved on in all the areas of triathlon at this point. So, so something else I want to ask about just, again, as, as the scene, that the tri-scene evolves, the athletes of today, uh, they have better technology, they have better gear, they, they have a better understanding of, of nutrition, they have better nutrition products on course than, than what you guys had back 
when you were racing. So, well, hell, you know, if I had had all that stuff, I would have been going like 714. You know, I would have been like 658 on my own, like that sub seven, sub eight thing. They would have been going like, damn, can that dude go like sub six with a team? I think so. He's got his Morton and he's got his like super duper thing and he's like flying on his own. You know, I actually, I, I sort of think about this like, oh my God, if I had the shoes... That yep. these guys have the, the carbon plated, uh, the, the yeah, high stack uh, uh, cushion. Yeah, you know, I, I tried this, the the super duper Nike ones a while, a while ago, six months ago, and I'm like, oh my god, this would have been, you know, I don't know, seven, eight, ten minutes in the marathon, literally. Sure. And, and um, sorry, Patrick, you wouldn't have broke my record that way. And so anyway, <laughs> you know, and, and so and then I'm looking at, at um, you know, I was I was hearing the line, uh, 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 was it Lionel? No. Uh, Blumenfeld, I was hearing that he was taking in something crazy like, and I don't know if this is true or not, like five or 600 calories an hour, you know, during uh, the world championship in St. George this past May. And I'm like, that's twice the number of calories that I was able to to choke down successfully, which means that he has twice as much gas in the tank as I did. Sure. You know, and so if we had these advantages, uh, I mean, not... Not that I have uh, sour grapes, you know. I'm I'm psyched about what I did, you know. Absolutely, because, because, as you should be, <laughs> because I know what it took to do it, you know. And um, that's the other side. Everybody's going faster now. Like you look at, you know, generally guys are going to have to go under eight hours to win an Ironman. Women are going to have to go under nine hours to win an Ironman. Look at what Laura Phillip did in in Hamburg. Eight hours, 18 minutes. She went faster in her Ironman than I went in, I think, three of my Ironman victories in Kona. Absolutely. I remember Dang. when I was first coming into the sport as an age grouper, I think, the, I think was Tim Don the, the first one in a while that went sub eight somewhere, and then Jan finally did it in Kona. And, and, and that was like when a, when a male went under sub eight, it was a huge deal. And now... You have to go sub eight to place top ten at a major Ironman. Like, it, what, 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 you know, just and on the women's side, it, it's the same thing, just different times, right? And so you're seeing times start to, to come down, down, down. Is is that you know the the, the technology is advancing, advancing? That the way we're training is advancing. Or is all this good for the sport, or is it just kind of just anecdotally, just we're, we're in a new era of triathlon? Or what, what's kind of your, your your take on those trends with with technology and speed and and people getting faster? Well, for me, it's super exciting. You know, there really has been breakthroughs in in the last three or four years, I'd say. And maybe COVID had <clears throat> had something to do with it, where people actually had time to to maybe redefine how training mm-hmm. was going to work for them. They didn't have racing to get in the way of yeah, actually figuring out absolutely. how to train smart. And um, so, no, it's for me, it's kind of reinvigorated um, my interest because you know I am about performance. And so when I see these new levels being set consistently, it's like, this is kind of cool. I love it. That's cool. Scott, Scott, are you, are you following the pro field as, as well and kind of seeing what, what everybody's doing in, in the space right now? I think we've, I think as technology has advanced, we've slipped into this and you can see it with, you know, the top pros now slipped into this data thing. This is, this is my point of view is I think where Mark and TriDot have come together in this, and this is where I see the pros heading, is you're putting a human heart and a human brain who has been there, unlike a lot of input that comes from people who are supposing what it was like to have been there, but who have been there over and over and over again. And you're informing this coaching paradigm that 
these are the other things. These are the other variables that enter into this equation. You know, you need more time alone. You need more rest time. You need to have a healthier mental attitude. It can't just be numbers, 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 grind, grind, grind. And, and I think you're seeing, and this is my point of view on the pro field today, you're seeing more injuries, mm. more days down than I can remember in the history of the sport because you're being, you know, athletes are assuming that they're supermen and they lay out their season and they put all these races on it and they break and, and not little breaks. You know, these are big mental breaks and big physical breaks that are happening and they're happening at record paces. So I think, I think that's what I have to, con- you know, certainly don't have Mark's pedigree to contribute to that, to this, but I have been an observer for a long, long time. And one of the things I see today is that Yes, the athletes are going incredibly fast, but they're breaking at an incredibly mm-hmm. rapid pace also. Well, that, that's where, you know, we've talked about the dot meeting the goat. You know, we're, yes, sir. We're, we're, talking about, we're talking about taking the best of everything and blending it together. You, you know, if you, can, if you can take that data and utilize it in, a, in, a, in the right way, you know, analyze it in the right way, t- extract the what needs to be taken out and apply that to the future in the right way, then first of all, you avoid a lot of those pitfalls of overdoing it, of overtraining, of pushing too hard too often, of not getting enough rest. And then on top of that, you know, there is that, there is that, like Scott was saying, knowing when to say, look, there's something going on and enough is enough today. And to be good, good with that. And to find those places within yourself that it's almost like, you know, I approached racing in a sense as a spiritual endeavor. You know, it's like, I'm going to go there and I'm going to race as hard as I, as I can. But at the same time, the, the true success of, of this day will be if I learn something about myself. And I don't know what that's going to be. You don't have to. You don't have to try too hard because sure. there's going to be a lot of lessons out there. Whether you, whether you're first or last, there's going to be stuff where you have to deal with yourself, and you're going to find things about yourself, manage them, deal with them, get beyond them. Two two sort of quotes. Uh, one comes from a book, Fit Soul, Fit Body: Nine Keys to a Healthier, Happier You, that Brant Secund and I wrote. One of those nine keys is honor yourself. And if people just took those two words and thought about them and said, how can I honor myself? Well, honoring myself means that I take care of myself. I get the rest I need. If I'm tired, I let my body recover. I don't push myself to an unhealthy limit. I challenge myself. I do training that tests me, that keeps me sort of moving forward, but at the same time, honoring yourself means that you also draw back when you need to. And, I, and as Scott was saying, record numbers of pros are breaking down. They're not honoring themselves. Honoring yourself says, I stay healthy. Yeah. I keep myself healthy. And bottom line, health is the top priority here in all of this that we're doing on this journey in triathlon. And then from my book, The Art of Competition, one of the quotes is, is uh, the greatest victories can never be seen. Mm, and what I, what, yeah. I, what I meant when I wrote that quote is that in, in racing, in training, in life itself, you, there are thousands of moments where you had to overcome yourself, where you resisted doing something you needed to do, where you resisted letting go of a, 
um, a habit or way of being that was holding you back from being a better person. And in a race, you had probably had, especially like an Ironman, a thousand moments where you wanted to quit, but you took that next step anyway. You may have feared that you couldn't make it to the finish line, but you took that next step anyway. And those are victories over yourself, and no one will see those victories. The greatest victories can never be seen. Hmm. And only you will really, truly know what it took to get you to this point that you're at in your life today. Nobody will truly understand what it took for you to get from that start line to the finish line. You know, in my final Ironman, there's a point where I'm closing in on Thomas Hellriegel, who had a 13 and a half minute lead going into the marathon. And I'm getting closer, I'm getting closer. And Phil Liggett, who was one of the, the commentators, he said... Mark Allen is closing in on Thomas Hellriegel with, uh, like a robot in perfect control of his functions, <laughs> you know? And he made it sound like I was just this, this programmed machine that was just slowly ticking off the thing. And on, on the video, on the, on the broadcast... You looked it. I, I looked it. Yeah. I looked like I didn't have one doubt or one moment where I was faltering. But I had moments over and over and over over and over and over on that marathon where I wanted to quit, where I didn't think I could keep going, where I didn't think it was worth keeping going, you know, because I got, I went there to win and I was behind and every one of those, I just had to go, you know, that was another key. One of our nine keys, quiet your mind, get your mind to be quiet in that silence. Every time I found the reason to keep going. I found the strength to keep going. And so those were victories over myself. And when I look back at the end of the day, yes, I won. Yes, it was my sixth and final victory. It couldn't have turned out better. It was the most amazing of, in my opinion, race that I ever had in my career. But what made it so amazing was that it was so hard to get there the way that I did and that I had those victories over myself. And no one, I don't know if I can truly ever explain how hard that was but at the same time it's not necessary to because it's almost like it was a gift that was given to me through that experience and we all have those same gifts if we look back and go yeah wow that was hard that was challenging but i did it and that's where those smiles come from absolutely in those people when they cross the finish line great set everyone let's cool down A strong amount of triathlon talk there in the main set today, but zero tri-coaching, tangible tri. We had a lot of mental tri-coaching there, a lot of motivational tri-coaching, but tangible triathlon coaching tips. And with just with two great experienced tri-minds on the show today, I can't let us walk away without getting just, just a tangible coaching tip from each of you. Not on my watch. So Scott, Mark, for our cool down today, just really quickly hit us with one big hitting very tangible pearl of wisdom to focus on. Mark, we'll start with you. Okay, uh, my, my pearl of wisdom is when you're doing a brick workout, that run, does n- that run does not have to be enormously long. A brick workout, the idea of it is to teach you that transition from cycling to running. So even if you only have 20 minutes off your bike to do a brick run, maybe it's scheduled to be whatever, 30, 40, an hour, whatever it is, even doing 20 minutes will train your body 
to be able to get off the bike and transition into run, your running legs. And it's, it's also patterning into your body that the end of the bike is not the end of the day. Mm, that's that when, when you get off the bike, it's not time for a big lunch and a nap. It's time to go for a little run. Yeah. And so doing that. And just um, an aside, if Scott wants to tell it quickly, that term brick run came from this gentleman here, Scott Zagarino. Scott, hit us with that story. <laughs> my coach and I, <laughs> it's true, and I'm going to take credit for it after all these years. You should. My coach and I used to do this ride that would, that it, it just required this lap around a field in Ventura that was about 15 miles to make it a 110-mile ride. And we would ride, it was just the most barren place to be riding in the heat. And we started singing this Pink Floyd song. And then it suddenly dawned on both of us on the same day that, that this entire ep- exercise with the end with ending in a 10 or 20 mile run was just another brick in the wall. And every time we hit that spot, we'd start all in all. It's another brick in the wall. It's just another brick in the wall. That's where the term came from. We just started calling it a brick. And then everyone who ever joined us called it a brick. And it's sort of then, then as triathlon, as the sport goes, everyone wanted to overcomplicate it. <laughs> so, so Scott, you're, you're telling me that every other theory or, or explanation I've heard for why a brick workout is called a brick is incorrect, unless it's telling me that it was you and your coach singing a Pink Floyd song during a workout. That's it. That's it. I can say uh, that categorically. <laughs> absolutely incredible. Scott, hit us with one tangible try coaching tip to shut us down the day. I think that, that everyone involved in this sport, because it requires effort, just effort, 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 that you, you incorporate a meditative practice into your life, whether it's a walking meditation or a seated meditation, it's just being able to stay, not going from the pool to work, to you know, but just being able to be present, listen to yourself, breathe, appreciate your life, certainly more than anything. This is the... This would be the theme that runs through every, everything in, with me and triathlon. Remember how lucky we all are to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. Just wherever else you could be in the world, this is, this is a gift. It is an immense gift. And if you stop appreciating it, you'll lose the value of the gift. And sitting quietly or being quiet somewhere and just being an appreciation for what you've been given, that's my pearl. Well, that's it for today, folks. I want to thank Tri Legend and Tri.Coach Coach Mark Allen and CEO of Mark Allen Sports, Scott Zagarino, for joining us for today's conversation. Shout out to our friends at Precision Fuel and Hydration for being a Tri.Coach partner. We have a new code. So when you go to buy your electrolytes and fuel, use code TRI10 to get 10% off your first order. We'll have a new show coming your way soon. Until then, happy training. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and share the TriDot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great Tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to TriDot.com and start your free trial today. TriDot, the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training.